This podcast, The Two Mats, is sponsored as ever by the New European Newspaper. And we've got a very special subscription offer for you, a new one, where you can get a free bollocks to Brexit passport cover. That's right, you heard that right, folks. It's a burgundy, like vegan leather, beautifully designed passport cover. Pleather. To, to have pleather, that's what, that's what they call it, isn't it? Pleather. To hide your um, new British blue. The shame of the, the blue shame, The shame passport. of the blue passport. And you can get your free bollocks to Brexit passport cover free with a subscription to the New European from just £1 a week. So to take this fantastic offer, and trust me, if you like this podcast, you will absolutely love the New European, go to theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats. That's the number two, M-A-T-T-S, and there's a link in the show notes. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to the New European Podcast. I'm back from my holidays, and I can hear the sigh of relief. Um, I'm joined by Steve Anglesey. Hello. And we'll get to the news firstly. Later on, I'm going to be joined by Jerry Scott, who's going to look uh, in some depth at uh, mental health and how Brexit will impact the mental health services our NHS provides. Um, And then, of course, we will, as always, get to crowning our Brexiteer of the week. But Steve, firstly... We've got some position papers. Yeah. Uh, They uh, lay out uh, our intentions... It's good, isn't it, because the EU said we couldn't talk about trade and the customs union until we've settled the divorce bill and the rights of the UK EU citizens in the UK and vice versa, and we'd sorted out the Irish border. So obviously the first position paper that we, we saw was about trade and the customs union, which we can't really talk about yet. Yes, quite. Well done, everybody. <laughs> and that said, didn't it, it painted a sort of a, a bizarre... You know, there was a little bit in there for Liam Fox. There was a little bit in there for Philip Hammond. It sort of painted a, uh, a, a an amazing status quo. So we said we would we would still definitely leave the EU in in March of 2019, but there would be an interim period, not a transitional period, because that would be wrong. That's yeah, that would be wrong. Yeah, an interim period where we would have. It seemed like all of the benefits of the customs union, but we'd also be allowed to, not only would we have all of the benefits of the customs union, but we would also be allowed to negotiate trade deals with other countries outside the EU, but we wouldn't be allowed to implement them. Because that is obviously against EU rules, isn't it? This is surely going and buying a cake and eating it. Well, it's, it is, it is, 
it's also having your cake and eating it, but also eating the EU's cake that they have brought to the negotiations. Oh, yeah, that's well. right. You bought the cake, but didn't pay for it. Yes, you that's got right. A, you yeah. stole a cake. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, Barnier and Verhofstadt on the other side of the table have, have brought in some Madeleines and, uh, and whatever else, a Black Forest Gatto, perhaps. And then we're going to eat that as well while they're out of the room. Well, we've asked them for some water, which obviously we... Or wine, probably. Well, wine, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Could you just nip out? So um, we don't want to pay any tariffs Cost not. to remain in the, this interim uh, customs union. Businesses are going to have to... Big businesses are going to have to pay tariffs, and then they'll claim them back. So that's going to add another weird level of stupid bureaucracy uh, to proceedings, which is exactly... What we why we wanted to leave Europe yes. in the first place. We isn't hate it? We, red tape. We hate red tape and, and, and you know the bendy bananas and all of that. So that's ludicrous. And then we're not going to have any border checks on goods which will travel between us and the, the EU either. Um, it is um, it's a remarkable piece of work. This uh, this customs union um, document. It was hailed by Guy Verhofstadt, who is obviously leading the EU's negotiating team, as a fantasy. So I think we need to put this one down. I think the customs union paper we need to put down as a partial success, don't we? Are its intentions correct, at least in that they're recognising that we can't just drive our big red bus off the White Cliffs of Dover? Well, yes, that is the, that intention is entirely honourable, isn't it? Unless, you, of course, you are the uh, nicotine-stained man-frog, Nigel Farage, mm. who, uh, who just wants us to jump off the cliff and, uh, and be done with it and doesn't seem to care about the impact that it would have on people who vote for his party or business or anything else. So in that, in that sense, then, without wanting to be... I know we've had a bit of fun at its expense, but a transitional period, if we do have to leave the EU, is entirely sensible and will have to happen yeah at least we're admitting that now it's absolutely essential I, well i think it is absolutely so i think all right thinking people would would and some wrong thinking people liam fox for what <laughs> agree that it's absolutely essential what is uh, what is bad what is not good about this customs union um position paper obviously is is the is the the fantasy world, as, as Verhofstadt puts it, that it portrays. There is no way that the, um, that the EU will agree to this. There is no way that a, a country that leaves the EU is going to have the same, uh, is going to be rewarded by having exactly the same relationship with a, a customs union as one who is inside the customs union and, and con- contributing to it. Um, so it is just a, it's a work of, of, of fantasy, and and um, and much like the, uh, the, the the Northern Ireland the Ireland proposals that we'll, we'll come to in a second, it seems designed to be pushed back against by the EU, and then for David Davis, Liam Fox, and the Brexiteer his their Brexiteer friends to say, look at the EU trying to punish us. I think the thing that as well that's going to go down really badly in Brussels is. We're going to stay in the customs union as part of a transitional period, but at the same time we're going to negotiate deals for when we're out of it. That's kind of like saying, will you be my girlfriend while I find a better one? Yes, exactly. Which doesn't go down well, by the way. No, I mean, it's 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 against EU rules as we know them right now. It's not going to be accepted, and um, I mean, it's, uh, it's almost so 
daft that it's in there to be knocked down <laughs> and withdrawn as, a, as an act of good faith. Do you think that they maybe just thought, oh, we might as well just ask? Just just put it in, yeah. You know, Let's see if they notice it. What's the worst thing they can say? <laughs> They're only going to say no, aren't they? Or, you know, maybe they won't read that far in. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a remarkable thing. Yeah. So, uh, freedom of movement. This has caused Nigel Farage to get even more furious. I've just read a, a dispatch from my old colleagues at the Press Association. Um, he's been on the phone to them this morning. I imagine he rings them quite often, spouting off about how uh, no no one voted for this, and this isn't this isn't what um, what we campaigned for, and it isn't what we should be getting. You know, freedom of movement was a big issue. What's he missing? What, he's missing the point somewhat, isn't he? Well, he's, he's perennially missing the point. <laughs> Specifically on the I- Irish border, he's missing the point, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, so yes, I mean, so this this ties up with the next lot of proposals that we got, wasn't it, which was the, which was the position paper on Northern Ireland. And it, again, if you miss that, the sort of the highlights of, of a, um, uh, you know, very much the sunny uplands of post-Brexit uh, Britain with Northern Ireland, there'll be an invisible border, no trade checks, no passport control, no CCTV, no cameras that can um, take and digitise your number plates as you go through. No passport checks for EU citizens coming in from the EU into Ireland. So that effectively means that anyone from the EU would still be able to get to the, the UK, although the, you know, the government say they would discourage that by restricting access to social services and to the health service. So that sounds quite nice, doesn't it? Yeah. Come this over, but <laughs> enjoy, enjoy your stay. This is a common travel area. Yes. Which is basically what we already have. Yes. Um, so again, no change there. No um, real change there, no. Again, though, let's... I know that we're laughing, and rightly so, but there really isn't any other option for Ireland with regards to, to how this is going to happen. It's got to be like this, hasn't it, because of the sensitivities of a border in that part of the world. Well, you would hope that it, you would hope that it has, but then when you look at the, the rest of the stuff that's in that position paper, it, it, again, this is stuff that the EU can't really sign up for, it, and, and the Republic of Ireland, as part of the EU, can't really yeah. sign up for. If there is no... Border controls on goods, I think, is the is the is the key issue, isn't it? Mm. Then how do you stop stuff that doesn't meet EU safety standards, like the chlorinated chicken and the hormone beef from America that we've been talking about for the last few weeks, coming into through Northern Ireland or coming in directly from the the mainland and then being transported into the EU? It can be waved through. Yeah. How do you stop stuff that the EU has battled really hard to, you know, to keep uh, something like Chinese steel, for mm. example, which can be produced a lot more cheaply than steel from inside the EU. How do you, with no border controls, how do you stop that coming in via the mainland or through the north and undercutting EU producers, and, and therefore what are they paying for? So again, this is one where, you know... We're basically is, is asking this... the EU to change their rules because we voted to leave... We are asking the yes, exactly. We've We're asking f- them to change their rules, but we are inviting them to erect two hundred. I mean, there are two hundred border crossing points, aren't there, between the the north and and the south of Ireland? So we're effectively going. Well, if you want to police this, then you're going to have to put up two hundred borders. It's a tri- it's a really tricky one, isn't it? The Irish border, and I'm sure everyone on on both sides will want to find the absolute best solution. To underline those position papers we've had this week, to underline it, Steve, 
Lots of clarity there. You're not confused at all, are you? No, I think it's cl- absolutely clear as mud, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. I think we're off we go now on the merry jaunt towards exiting the EU. Guess who's back? Back again. Theresa May's back, and uh, she hasn't really done a great deal yet. I think today actually is her first day back actually in the office. She, she was she was off on holiday for three weeks, and then she worked her three first three days back from home. That's um, good, isn't it? It's not bad going, is it? You can tell that she... Uh, Did she take a duvet day? Maybe. Did she just phone in and go... Do you know what? <laughs> I had a few too many last night, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. It's quite hard It's quite hard being the Prime Minister in that respect, isn't it? Because there must be days when you just fancy phoning up work and going... Who does she you know call? What? The Queen? Yeah, I think she does call the Queen. Doing the... <coughs> yeah. <coughs> <coughs> I wondered what is in her entry, really. She's got a lot to do, hasn't she? But what, for you, what are the things that she needs to be tackling this week? Well, oh, resignation would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, uh, I think it is. I mean, this is a uniquely this is a uniquely difficult time to to be the prime minister, isn't it? Because I think. For the duration of this parliament and probably the next administration as well, or, or, or if by some miracle Theresa May did win the next election, I think the next ten years are pretty much going to be dominated by Brexit and dealing with Brexit, and there isn't really much more a government can focus on than Brexit. Yeah. However, after the disastrous election and after three days uh, on the jollies and then three weeks of do three days of duvet days. <laughs> Uh, in the Red Lion with Philip, um, she must be seen to be reasserting her authority, having some new ideas, just putting it over that this parliament, this government rather, is not just dead in the water or treading water, uh, and that she is marching forward and not being a busted flush uh, with no mates, as, as clearly she is. Um, so. I mean, what governments when they don't can't really think of anything else to do normally have reshuffles, don't they? And I wonder whether she would have a Whoa, who could she reshuffle? A reshuffle bill before the conference. Well, would she want to in in the sort of the the Brexiteer style? Would she have given people? Stuff to do that. I mean, she gave Liam Fox a job that doesn't really start for another eighteen months, mm. would she? But sort of saying, go and sort your own mess out. Would she do something with Jacob Rees-Mogg to to try and make him actually do something for a living? Well, you know, my my view of one of the things that she needs to sort sort out is that uh, growing um, momentum. Yeah, because he. He does have something of the Corbyn about him. Strange comparison. Yeah. Something of the Trump about him. Yeah, he's like a non-politician yeah. who is a he's, career politician. He's an anti-politician yeah. right now, and for some reason, anti-politicians are, are in favour. We don't know. We know enough about his policies to be a bit concerned <laughs> if he was going to be prime minister. I think he, I, I think it's unlikely, but he would be backed enough. Yeah. 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 So it might be. It might be politically wise of her. To actually make him do something rather than running his shadow election campaign. Okay, Steve, can I ask you a question? Yes. Do you like going to the cinema? I love going to the cinema. Have you been to see the summer blockbusters this year? I've been to see Baby Driver, I've been to see. Never heard of that. 
it's sounds take, dangerous. It's though. taken over. It's a baby. It's not an actual baby driving. It's not a sequel to Taxi Driver. It's taken with a very young Robert De Niro, <laughs> an animatronic CGI baby of Robert. De Niro. It sounds like exactly like I'm going to pitch that. something Robert De Niro would would be in nowadays, doesn't yeah, it? Quite it's, possibly. Yes. What about next summer, or perhaps the summer after that? Next summer, I am really looking forward to the film of the hit book Bad Boys of Brexit by Aaron Banks which I have to say is possibly the most loathsome book that I've ever <laughs> read in my life and I have read The Da Vinci Code and oh. Fifty Shades of Grey oh, Really? Yeah, all the way through If this is to actually happen and I don't doubt that it will happen then a major American film company or TV company is about to snap up the rights to Aaron Banks's. Brexit Diary, uh, which was published last year. So they're about to snap this up. They want to turn it into a six-part uh, oh six-part um, uh, movie and TV series or something like that. Six-part uh, movie? That can't be right. It can't be six, can it? Surely not. No. Right. So I've got no reason to doubt that this film will be made. <laughs> and, you know, it's cr- the credibility of this story began to sort of slightly crumble for me when, when it said, it was in the Sunday Telegraph this, and it said that being lined up to play Nigel Farage were Colin Firth and Benedict Cumberbatch, <laughs> um, who is, you know, they are quite similar to Nigel Farage, aren't they? Um, <laughs> legal alert. Yeah, legal alert. Ian Dale, uh, sometimes writer of this... Uh, of I the didn't new- know he was an actor. Ian Dale has suggested that Danny DeVito could play um, Aaron Banks oh, because yes. because he's slightly small. Um, that, that's, there, there is a similarity in, in looks there. Yeah, I think I think if Ian Beale could gain a few more pounds, Adam uh, Adam Woodyatt, is he called? Right. Yeah, yeah. If he could gain a few more pounds and be slightly, he's been waiting for that Hollywood breakthrough. This is his chance. He could be. This is Oscar. Aaron Banks. So Woodyatt for Banks. Good. I think Charlie. If you dress Charlie Higson up as Swiss Tony again, yes. that is your David Davis. Like it right there. Yeah. Sort good. of Matt Lucas with a, a bit of straw on his head as Boris Johnson. <laughs> um, and then, and, and actually, this was in the piece. Another possible Farage was was Kevin Spacey, and when you think about it, Kevin Spacey, he was a Weasley villain in Seven, wasn't he? Yes. Then in the usual suspects, uh, he ter- spoilers, he turns out to be the Weasley villain. Yeah. Then in Superman Returns, Not he was a that. Weasley villain. Was he was it? Lex Luthor in that. In Horrible Bosses, he was a Weasley villain. And in Baby Driver, which is a, a, a really great film, he, he plays a, a villain who is quite Weasley. So I think Kevin Spacey would be the perfect choice to play Nigel Farage, unless... You know, a human Freddo the Frog chocolate bar uh, was a, was a, was also available. Okay, thanks very much, Steve. Stay angry, fight Brexit, subscribe to the New European. Your first thirteen issues of the New European are only thirteen pounds when you join us and become a subscriber. Order by telephone by calling zero one eight five eight four three eight eight four zero and quoting podcast one. Or order online at our website, www.neweuropean.co.uk. Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European.
Welcome back. I'm joined now by Jerry Scott, who, as well as being a podcast regular, of course, is also a health journalist, and she's going to talk to us about mental health um, generally and, of course, uh, the impact that Brexit will have on services and beyond, in fact. So, Jerry, tell us a little bit about where we are with regards to mental health services in the UK right now. I mean... It's not great. We've got a mental health crisis um, in the UK in terms of treatment. More and more people are reporting mental ill health. It's a a statistic you hear a lot, but one in four people will have some kind of mental health difficulty within their lifetime. Waiting lists are long for treatment. People are sent all over the country uh, for treatment. There's a lack of acute hospital beds. Um, and mental health treatment isn't on the same level as physical health treatment. And it's something that actually you saw a lot of in the election. All the parties were talking about it. Um, The Conservatives have made big promises to invest more money, get more staff, but the state of play isn't great. So that parity of esteem is something that we hear a lot about, and certainly um, the the Tories have, have spoke a lot about in the last few years and at the election. Are we anywhere close? No. In all honesty, um, not not even a little bit. The money invested isn't the same. The um, kind of the, the funding and the research that goes on isn't the same. And people are dying because of this. You know, suicide rates are on the up, and um, it's it's a real issue for the healthcare system. Tell us about. Uh, give us a quick case study of what someone might expect after they've. You know actually admitting maybe that you've got a problem is tricky enough then they go and see someone what would happen next so it's really difficult because there are so many different types of mental health difficulty um that the pathways are so different but say you go to your doctor and you say that you think you've got depression um the next step tends to be that you go onto a waiting list for the nhs wellbeing service um Depending on where you are in the country, that waiting list can be anything from weeks to months. And wow. yeah, and once that time's up, the first kind of port of call tends to be a group session, which doesn't work for everyone. It's not really what people want, in all honesty. And then by that time, you're in the system and you have to jump through the hoops that you have to jump through. So there's huge inequality here as well, depending on whether you can afford private treatment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if And... There are brilliant charities uh, like Mind and people like that who offer lower cost treatment for people on lower incomes, but there are huge inequalities because if you can afford that private treatment, then obviously you're jumping that waiting list. Okay, so um, parity is is a big issue and and one that the the parties have mentioned, but another issue for for mental health services, we believe, is going to be Brexit. Tell us about how leaving the EU might impact on what is already, in in your own words, a crisis? Well, I mean, so Brexit has got this massive impact on the NHS generally, um, and there's the um, NHS Confederation have um, really handily kind of summarised that in a kind of acrostic um, of uh, the problems being budget, research, employment, cross-border research, innovation and trials. All those things are going to be affected in the NHS when Brexit happens and just by the vote as well um, and all those ring true for mental health um, but there are kind of more specific things just for mental health as well there's an increased service pressure so I, I will talk a bit more about this later but people are worried about Brexit and it is affecting their mental health and it's 
it's something that's often met by some some areas um, of going, oh, snowflakes. Mm. But for people whose maybe their livelihoods are under threat, that's a real serious concern for them. Sure. Um, but also, you've got to think about British citizens who live abroad. Things like dementia and Alzheimer's, they come under the mental health banner. And there are 190,000 UK pensioners who live abroad. Mm. How they're going to be looked after, how any reciprocal health agreements might or might not be upheld... That's a real worry for people, for families who know that their relatives live abroad. Um, and, you know, you mentioned parity of esteem. Uh, mental health services are always pushed to the bottom of the list once um, funding is cut or something more important comes along. So if there's an economic slowdown, then they're going to get hit. Mm. It's, a real, it's, a, it's a problem for, in mental health already. And if that target is that parity, then... What is needed is the funding, yeah. And there's serious concerns about how how the funding will work as well once once we're uh, out of the EU, isn't there? Because there is. I mean, so that's another point. This is the access to innovation, things like that, and the total uh, UK health research spend, which goes into mental health, is only six percent. And the EU, for the last however many years, has filled that gap. Mm. That's obviously not going to happen. Um, the EU is the largest single funder of mental health research in Europe and one of the top ten globally. What's going to happen to our mental health innovation? We're not going to have access to the European Medicines Agency anymore. So what does that mean for people who need access to new innovative treatment? Can they get it quick enough? Can yeah. they get it as fast as other EU countries? Possibly not. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a big figure, but 1.92 billion euros was invested into brain research by um, FP7, right. which was the EU's research innovation funding program yeah. between uh, 2007 and 13. So that money's gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, the other uh, aspect that we talk about a lot when it comes to the NHS and Brexit is access to a workforce. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are 58,000 about that. EU staff in the NHS, you know, as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, 10% of that is... Um, sorry, that's about 10% of the medical workforce. And in psychiatry, it's even higher. It's about 13%. Right. And more than 41% of doctors who are in psychiatric training are non-UK graduates. Yeah. Like, that's a massive number, 41%. Um, lots of mental health trusts have loads of overseas nurses and... About seven percent of the adult social care workforce are from overseas. Um, so, if those people are already worried that they might have to leave the country, um, that there there might be restrictions on them working, that's a massive gap that we're going to have to fill, and that takes time. Training nurses, doctors takes a long time. Mm. We can't fill that gap already. Right. Here's a question: that if if leaving the EU meant that people with broken bones didn't get the service they did before. How do you think that would would go down with the general public? Yeah, exactly, and it would go down terribly. And one of the, you know, one of it the wouldn't comparisons, be accepted, it would wouldn't it? be accepted. <laughs> and one of the one of the comparisons that's often made is we wouldn't treat people with cancer this way. Um, and it's it a lot of it is because you can't always see mental illness. Mm. It doesn't seem as pressing. It doesn't seem as you know obviously there's something wrong with you as a broken bone but you know it kills it kills just as many as many people am as i right in thinking the, the the biggest killer of 
under 35 year old males is uh, mental health yeah suicide yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely um, and the funding isn't there and it could only get worse so let's look ahead then what do the government need to do to to make sure that we this isn't a complete and utter car crash for mental health it's, so it's really difficult, isn't it? There is, there's um, this office, who I actually didn't know existed, I will admit, um, the NHS European office. Mm-hmm. And usually they'd try and influence EU policy, they'd get access to funding, etc. Um, but since last year, they've been doing loads and loads of Brexit work. So the hope is that they can fly the flag for the NHS generally, but also they're really interested in mental health mm-hmm. um, and try and push the government in the right direction. But it's really difficult to know what can be done because... A lot of the answer is money, mm. and where that money's going to come from, no one really seems to know. I mean, in terms of workforce, you've got to guarantee those people can can stay, can carry on living their livelihoods, but there's so much uncertainty that it's really difficult to know what's going to happen. Well, on that rather gloomy note, um, Jerry, thank you very much. Really insightful stuff, and uh, we will chat again next week. Brexiteer of the Week. Welcome back. I'm joined again by Steve. We're going to crown our Brexiteer of the Week. Steve. Uh, some excellent candidates this week. Daniel Hannan is somebody we don't mention enough on this podcast. Uh, you'll be familiar with his work, hopefully. He is a Tory MEP. He was somewhat mystifyingly called the, the, the brain of Brexit uh, during, the, uh, during the referendum. He popped up on right-wing American website Washington Examiner this week to declare that Britain was ready for the great taste of modified meat. Uh, he wrote, uh, I eat steak whenever I'm in the United States. Your steaks are bigger and juicier and more tender than those I can buy in Europe, partly because American cattle are given hormones that are banned in the EU. You might prefer the idea of unadulterated beef raised only on rich green grass. Plenty of people in Europe say they do, but why should they impose their tastes on the rest of us? I agree. Well, why indeed, you know? I mean... A sensible view this is. All right, so there are those studies that say that hormone-injected beef might increase obesity and it might have something to do with male infertility and you know they may have something to do with with breast cancer as well but why impose all this on us it's political correctness and health and safety gone mad (laughs) in my in my opinion and in dan hannon daniel hannon's too maybe he'll be called desperate daniel hannon uh, as he tucks into his hormonally <laughs> injected cow pie. So the UKIP leadership contest, which obviously is roughly equivalent to the contest to become the captain of the Titanic, that is rumbling on. John Rhys Evans is one of the candidates. He, you might remember him as the as the man who um, once complained that a his horse had been subject of an attempted rape by a gay donkey. Uh, John Rhys Evans is in the uh, is is thrown his hat into the ring to be uh, to be the leader and succeed Paul Nuttall. He launched his campaign uh, this week, and he said that in his view, uh, chastity and fidelity were the best preservatives against the spread of STVs. Um, so he is cracking down on Scottish television, made with single transferable votes, but. Scottish television, I think, is 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 against that. Being chased uh, is is the best way to prevent Scottish television breaking out. It's possible that he meant STIs, isn't it, or STDs? But maybe he just really disliked Taggart. Um, 
Or Take the High Road. Oh, yeah, that was Mrs. That was Mac. Great stuff. Is that still on? I don't know whether it is. Is Taggart still on? Don't know. Anyway, but the Brexiteers of the week are, there's a group of them actually, and they are the Royal Disciple Church. Do you know of their works? Yes, I visit every Sunday. They're based in Lahore. It's, so a it's long quite trip. a long trek for you. <laughs> Uh, they are a group of Christians in Pakistan, and they have spent the last three years praying for Nigel Farage to become the Prime Minister of the UK. Uh, they believe that Nigel Farage will soon fly to Pakistan to meet them, and they don't know Nigel very well, do they? <laughs> uh, and this will usher in a glorious um, a new dawn. Um, their pastor, who's called Francis Bashir, told Vice... I know God will guide Nigel Farage to come to us and watch over us. Millions of people will be available when Nigel Farage arrives in Pakistan. Now, obviously this is not the first time Nigel Farage has been hailed as the Messiah because, as the old joke goes, every time he appears on Question Time, the viewers shout, Jesus Christ, is he back again? (laughs) Nigel Farage, Brexiteer of the Week, also idiot. Amen to that. That was the New European Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, The paper is on sale now. It's packed full of great stuff. Lots of news, lots of opinion, and uh, more than 30 pages of arts and culture coverage as well. Um, You can find us online at theneweuropean.co.uk. Please join us again next week. Is less... that your copy of? We've got a copy of Fifty Shades of Grey on the. There New is European one in the office desk. that is not my that is not my copy, but I have but I have um, but I have read it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.